It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Quickly to wall. Deal gets open for three. Dagger! Gives it to Wall. Harden gets Bradley for three. Hey everyone, you're listening to Locked on Wizards Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Getzel, and for today's show, we've got an interesting uh, guest. We've got Locked on Raptors host, Sean Woodley, and I have a conversation with him about a lot of different topics uh, previewing this matchup, kind of how things have changed since the 2014-2015 season that the Wizards swept, how the bench will be a, a huge factor in this one because the Raptors have so many players who they can bring in off the bench, you know, they run at least 10 deep and the Wizards really aren't quite at that level. And finally, we're going to talk about just the key matchups um, and what type of John Wall is going to show up in the playoffs, whether the Wizards will continue to struggle on defense and in terms of turning the ball over. Uh, I think the key matchup is going to be Kelly Oubre guarding DeMar DeRozan, so we'll see if we get to see any of that on Saturday night. Um, I'm not going to hold you up any longer. This is me, Noah Getzel, and Sean Woodley previewing the series. Wizards-Raptors kicks off Saturday night at 5.30 Eastern. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Sean Woodley from Locked On Raptors. What's going on? This is Noah Getzel from Locked On Wizards. Thanks for calling me up, Sean. It's good to hear from you. Do you live in Toronto? Uh, I used to. I live like an hour outside Toronto now. It's easier okay. to just say yes. I, I go to games and stuff. I'm within the range of getting to games. So yeah, we'll say yeah that. Although uh, anyone who lives in Hamilton, Ontario will be very offended mm-hmm. if I said it was 
Oh, and vice versa. So uh, <laughs> the accent is not noticeable whatsoever. So you, you, you do a good job of, of masking, you know, your origins. I guess I heard the weather oops, in Toronto oops. is awful uh, these days. It's like cold and rainy. Here in DC, it's beautiful. It was like seventy today. It's supposed to go up to eighty these next couple of days. Well, uh, enjoy the nice things while you have them. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, <laughs> we're of course here to talk about the Raptors and Wizards first round matchup which was set last night when the Wizards completely laid an egg against the Orlando Magic and Rodney Purvis apparently is a guy who does things <laughs> and the Raptors they, yeah the Raptors didn't have much in the way of a say over what they were going to be able to you know do in the, in the first round I think if had they beaten the Heat and the Wizards had won then that might have been the first round matchup but I'm not exactly sure how all the tiebreakers worked out um so this is what the Raptors are stuck with. I think of the three potential first-round matchups between the Bucks, the uh, Wizards, and Heat, I think the Wizards are probably the matchup that has people freaking out the most, at least in Toronto. Um, of course, the memories of a few years ago are still fresh in people's minds from 2015 when they got swept. I guess we can start there. That's kind of the big narrative thing that people are going to talk about when I don't know what you think. I'm not sure it matters all that much, but it's going to be something that's mentioned. There will be highlights of Paul Pierce uh, sinking the Raptors in that series. Uh, of course, Paul Pierce is no longer to be found, but how much, do you, like, in terms of similarities, I guess, between that 2015 Wizards team and this Raptors team, Like, do you see any, or is this just kind of like clean slate, nothing from that series matters at all, except for maybe some sort of mental edge that might exist, but I'm not sure that even exists anymore. Um, like, Where are you at in terms of looking at that series in 2015 and today and sort of lining the two up and saying and try to draw sort of any conclusions from that. Well, you've got a few key players for the Wizards who are, you know, part of that matchup back in the 2014-15 season who know, you know, what it takes to beat the Raptors, even though the Raptors have changed their, their philosophy a little bit. Uh, when you look at the, the same four players are the best players in the series. So you've got Wall and Beal for the Wizards. And do you still consider Kyle Lowry, you know, one of your top two players, him and DeRozan? It seems like those guys are, have kind of stayed stagnant, um, obviously, for the Wizards. Porter has developed. Oubre has developed. The bench is a lot deeper. They don't really have a physically imposing guy quite as much anymore like they used to have uh, in Nene. But a lot of similar characteristics. The biggest fear is the young guys, the youth, and the bench for the Raptors. Uh, and that, that, I think, will, will be a big difference. But uh, do you do you feel like um, it's, you know, the same top four guys, top two guys on each team, kind of, you know, two of the best backcourts in, in the Eastern Conference and the NBA, just going back head-to-head, or the, the Raptors much more of a team now instead of kind of relying on, on those guys to generate things offensively and, you know, Lowry leading the defense still? No, I mean, it's still DeMar and Kyle are the two best players on the team by a pretty significant margin, uh, and, like, I think... Whereas a few years ago, I might have said, like, Wall was probably the best player in the series, period. I think there's an argument to be made that, like, either Kyle or DeMar is at this point. Like, if you were to power rank those four players, I'm not sure how it weighs out. But, like, I don't think the Raptors are as overmatched as maybe they were a few years ago. DeRozan's got a lot better, particularly as a playmaker. His three-point shooting's gotten a lot of buzz this season, but he's been, like, 31%. It's just, like, a higher volume for him. So the fact that he's, like, taking them is nice. But uh, it's been more his playmaking and his ability to sort of diagnose traps. Like, traps have always been his kryptonite in the playoffs as recently as last season. Uh, And a lot of that was having, you know, supporting cast members who, 
who were like Patrick Patterson. They would get the ball wide open on the wing and travel instead of hit a three. Um, like that kind of thing. Damari Carroll with his sort of hapless drives. Like the, the, the supporting cast wasn't great, but Damar's decision-making wasn't very good either. He's gotten much better at that. There, you know, A lot of times this season, teams will come out really aggressive against Damar, and he'll have like eight assists in the first half, and then mm-hmm. kind of move into his offense in the second half because teams are like, oh, wait, he can do this now. We can't really sell out to stop him and get the ball out of his hands because other guys in the team are going to hurt them. Uh, and because DeMar, like, he's just making the right reads in those situations now. He's not getting bogged down and trapped and sort of turning the ball over or having to call timeouts because there's no way out. Like, he's just been much smoother with that. Um, so, yeah, I think I still think Kyle Lowry's a better player than DeMar DeRozan overall in terms of, like, really? overall impact. Wow, yeah, cool. overall impact on the game. He's a better defender. He's a better shooter. He's still, I think, a better playmaker. And, like, he does a lot more, like, tiny role player type things that De- DeRozan doesn't really mm-hmm. do. Um, so as much as DeRozan's kind of taken the reins of the offense this season, I still think Kyle's the most important. But I think you can make an argument that, based on their play this season, both Kyle and DeMar are, like, either 1-2 in the series or it's like 1 and then like a 1-B tie with Bradley Beal. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know how to sort of delineate it, but I think John Wall's drop-off this season, before he got hurt, and then obviously he's still working his way back, like I think that matters a lot for this series. So that I think is going to, uh, you know, we can get into this a little bit more, but I think the, the John Wall drop-off is going to be sort of a big factor in this series. And yeah, you mentioned just like the way the Raptors are playing now. They're just not the same team anymore. They're not ISO heavy. They're not so dependent on Kyle and DeMar to score 30 every night. Like those guys have had multiple games this season where they've scored like 12 points each and the Raptors still put up 130 points Mm -hmm. because everyone on the team can contribute. The second unit, which I'm sure we'll get to as well, has been excellent. Um, So I just think it's been, you know, a very sort of transformative season for the Raptors this year. And I think, any sort of stink that's still on the, the team from 2015, I think, is very, very, uh, you know, scarce at this point. And I think it's more of a fan paranoia thing. Like, Raptors fans are notoriously scared of everything. Um, so I, I think it's understandable that, that fans are looking at it and sort of being sort of cautious and mindful of what happened three years ago. But I think it, the, it's kind of a different game right now. It's funny with you mentioned... Beal- oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go sorry, ahead. But, no, no. I just with Beal and Wall, like... How has their game sort of developed since then? I mean, Beal's become a better playmaker. The Raptors have seen him kind of own them a couple times this year uh, when he's kind of, you know, without John Wall in the lineup, he's kind of taken the reins of the offense and been very effective. Um, like, how have those guys grown over the last few years or, or or regressed in some ways? Like, has it been sort of just a straight shot for those guys or has there been some up and down along the way? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the playmaking because, uh, uh, you know, DeRozan is at 5.2 assists this year, which is uh, his highest before that was 4.0 so he's he's made a big difference there I think Beal is very similar and a lot of it has to do with all the double teams that he faced when John Wall was out for half the season but he's developed into a much better playmaker and you can't really take much from the regular season matchups uh where the series was split 2-2 between these teams because John Wall didn't play a single one of those games uh Beal was excellent he scored 38 points 27 points 27 and 23 and he never had a game where he shot under 45 percent he got, you know, solid, like, about eight, like, five or six rebounds, you know, six assists in that range, three steals, one of those games. So he has definitely developed into a more all-around player instead of, like, a catch-and-shoot type of guy that he started off as earlier in his career, I would say. Um, Wall, you mentioned that he hasn't really come back to true form this season because he's missed so much time. But when you look at his, uh, I just had his, his game logs up for the, the final couple of games, 
he his turnovers aren't looking good, but the last game he played against Boston, 29 points, 12 assists, 7 rebounds, 3 steals, 3 blocks. Game before that, uh, that he played against Cleveland, 28 points, 14 assists, 3 blocks. Uh, oh, sorry, 3 steals, no blocks that game. And then his first game back, even he had 15 points and 14 assists. The turnovers have been an issue, no doubt about it, but that'll just take you know adjusting to the rhythm of playing with your teammates again. I don't think he's really going to miss a beat in the playoffs. Um, he's going to look himself, hopefully. You know, the one thing that always hinges on John Wall is kind of like he sets the tone for the whole team. So when he is active defensively, getting those steals and blocks, pushing the pace in transition, the Wizards are absolutely unstoppable. And when he's not playing defense, it's, you know, what we like to call here in Washington the hashtag so Wizards, where, you know, they, they just give up easy buckets left and right and allow you guys to score whatever. 130 points. Uh, DeLon Wright one game, I think, scored 20 with like six three-pointers in the fourth quarter, something mm-hmm. along those lines. So I think the three keys for this series, in my mind, are the Wizards' defense, which has been so hit and miss this year. And then their defense kind of predicates whether they play selfishly offensively as well, and whether they're sharing the ball or, you know, just trying to go solo one-on-one. Bradley Beal trying to take over, everyone standing still. And then overcoming the Raptors bench, which we'll talk more about because your team is incredibly deep and have some guys that really can present matchup nightmares, um, especially, I'm about to butcher his name, but uh, Pascal... Uh, Siakam. Siakam. Siakam, yeah. Right. yeah. And finally, I think uh, just turnovers has kind of been a, a common theme for the Wizards this year. And Wall has been sloppy since he's returned. Even without Wall, the Wizards were... Turning it over very, very frequently, um, even though they get a ton of assists. I think they were probably in the second half of the season, like, probably, and I've got to double check, but it seemed like every single game they were getting at least 25 assists. So mm-hmm. those were good numbers. So I think, yeah, defense kind of matching the, the bench and, you know, those last two minutes of the third quarter, start of the fourth quarter is going to be crucial. And then just keeping care, taking care of the ball is what will matter most. Um, this is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring, but for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. One thing that really confused me about the Wizards just today is that they signed their fifth point guard. I don't know if they're going with like an all-point guard lineup against the Raptors to try and like try something new and freak them out, but they just got Ty Lawson, who was last playing in China. Mm-hmm. He's older, he's lost his wheel, he's had lots of trouble with the law. I don't know what the plan was, because the Wizards already have John Wall, Tomas Sadaransky, uh, Ramon Sessions, Tim Frazier, and now they added another point guard. And there have been some kind of depth issues at small forward, power forward, like Otto Porter missed 
a game and a half because of a calf injury. He, of course, is not someone you can throw Ty Lawson <laughs> in to replace. And then uh, Mike Scott uh, got hit in the head in the final game against Orlando, and he's gone through concussion protocol. Mike Scott plays power forward, so it makes perfect sense to sign a point guard after that. What do you think the keys to the series are? Uh, yeah, they're... I think for me, it's going to be how the Raptors sort of adhere to their pick-and-roll defense. That's kind of one of the biggest things for me. Uh, like, this season, they've kind of scaled back their aggressiveness. They've been a very conservative pick-and-roll defensive team. Uh, they've had their bigs, you know, Jonas Valanciunas in particular, who usually struggled when the you know the Raptors used to run this scheme where they'd have him come hedge high, and he just wasn't quick enough to recover back, and they would just get torched that way. Um, whereas this season, the bigs are very much hanging back. They're having guards fight over every screen and recover to contest shots. And they're very much okay with just letting people shoot from the mid-range and sort of deterring them from driving to the rim by having the bigs hang back. And that has been pretty successful for them this season. They, like, they don't give up many threes, which is the, the most important thing. The most important way you can defend threes is just to not give them up. Um, and they've, you know, they've kind of funneled a lot of shots to the mid-range. And they give up, yeah, they give up the, the six most mid-range shots entirely. They give up uh, 36.8% of opposing shots from the mid-range. Um, and they give up a pretty high percentage. The fifth high percentage is 38.7% on mid-range shots. But you're going to live with that uh, if that's sort of, if you're constructing your defense around that and not allowing threes. They've given up the second fewest uh, three-pointers all told, the, set, the third fewest corner threes. Like, their defensive wow. shot chart has been very sort of tailored to eliminating the most efficient shots. They gave up a lot of shots at the rim. They're the third fewest, uh, third most shots allowed at the rim this season, but their rim protectors have been very good. Yaka Pertle in particular mm -hmm. has like Rudy Gobert, Joel Embiid level rim protection numbers this season in terms of allowed field goal percentage. So they have been sort of funneling opposing teams sort of to places where they want them to go and where they think their strengths can kind of counteract it. And I'm curious to see how the Wizards attack that because... You know, the, the, there's a problem that the Raptors have had this season is with point guards like John Wall or mostly Russell Westbrook in the two games the Raptors have played them. They played a couple weeks ago. Maybe you saw that game. It was a pretty crazy game. Uh, and Westbrook just had himself a night. And in the fourth quarter, he pretty much just ate in the mid-range and hit a bunch of shots. He got insanely hot and ended up winning the game that way. Um, and that's kind of, if you can give up if they're giving up those shots and someone's just going to hit them a bunch, then that's going to be a problem for them. And they and Kyle Lowry's always kind of struggled with speedier, more physical point guards. So John Wall's definitely in that category. The same as Westbrook. And you know, if he's losing st a step on him, then you know he's able to sort of get a little bit more, you know, run runway towards the basket. Maybe he can sort of pick up fouls uh, and get guys like Pirtle and Valanciunas into foul trouble. That's going to be interesting. And I think you know how the Wizards sort of take what the Raptors are giving them and, and sort of execute on those opportunities when they're getting wide open looks from the mid-range, I think that's probably going to be very like something the Raptors are very happy with. The thing with John Wall that fascinates me is that 40% of his shots this year, this is from cleaning the glass, 40% of Wall's shots have come from the mid-range this season, and he's in the 8th percentile of the league when it comes to mid-range shooting percentage at like 29%. Uh, which is very bad, and the whole thing for the Raptors. That, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You're gonna you're gonna live with that 100 percent of the time, and I think the the whole thing for the Raptors here is going to be resisting the temptation if it gets to the point where Walls beating Lowry off the dribble or or sort of you know kind of getting uh, a 
a bit of a head of steam going towards the basket, or he's eating in the mid-range. I think the Raptors are going to have to resist the temptation to send help towards the paint in that situation because Wall is so damn good at kicking out to open shooters, and all of the Wizard shooters, all the Wizards players can shoot, essentially. Uh, they're a very good shooting team. You know, Porter, Morris even, like these are guys that you don't really want bombing threes on you. Um, and if they can resist the urge to, to help in those situations, I think they'll be fine. That's where it kind of leads me to thinking, because of Wall's struggles from that uh, part of the floor th- this season, I wonder how much of the offensive creation burden is going to fall onto Beal because he's a much better uh, mid-range shooter this season. Obviously, he's the three-point threat as well, which sort of adds another thing into the mix that maybe Wall doesn't quite have to the same level. And, you know, if you have Beal creating the offense a little bit, maybe you can sort of take advantage of what the Raptors are giving you a little bit more. But at the same time, when you have Beal doing that and have Wall working off the ball, the temptation to dig down and help is going to be, you know, you're going to be able to give into it a little bit more because you're not as worried about a kick out to John Wall as you would be as a kick, a kick out to an yeah. open Bradley Beal, you know what I mean? So, and going uh, back to the three-point uh, percent stat, it's, it's crazy because yeah. the Wizards – don't take any threes, it seems like. They're 23rd in terms of taking uh, 26 and a half threes a game, but they hit them incredibly effectively. They're, they're uh, fourth in terms of three-point percentage. So, you know, keeping running the shooters off the line won't really be an issue, I would say, for, for Toronto's defense, just because I don't know why it is, but the Wizards are pretty reluctant to feast from, from downtown. And when you look at some of these other discrepancies, yeah, I mean, that's like the Wizards are a pretty ho-hum average team when it comes to like their net rating, defensive offensive rating. It's right around 15. The Raptors are, of course, top five in all of those. Like, I, I just don't entirely understand how the Wizards are going to keep up with all of the Raptors' depth because you have so many guys who can contribute. Vlam Vliet, he's there today, but he's he's been good. Uh, Pascal Siakam, Jacob Podol, OG Ananube, I'm probably saying all these names wrong, Norman Powell, <laughs> uh, even like Lucas Norietta, Nogueira. No, no Nogueira. Nogueira. My God, I'll just shut up. But yeah. all of these guys are Wizards <laughs> killers because, you know, you forget about them. And the Wizards overlook their, their worst competition all year long. They've lost to countless teams that are lottery-bound. And when it comes to, all right, cool, DeMar DeRozan's out of the game, like, we're going to be fine now. It's it's not the case because they can just, you know, the Raptors can beat you in so many different ways. So I think that's really going to be where the Wizards are going to struggle. It's going to be, you know, they'll be fine through 10 minutes of the first quarter, but as soon as they sub out, it may be like John Wall or Brad Beal or someone like that. It's just going to be a, a, a long run. And then what's going to happen is that, you know, these guys are going to run out of legs because they played so many minutes. Well, not Wall, but he's recruiting recovering from injury but Bradley Beal played all 82 games mm-hmm. he I don't know where he ranks but it seemed like he was playing 40 minutes just about every night mm-hmm. uh and he's you know he is one of the guys who ran over 200 miles or maybe it was 2,000 miles <laughs> there's a big difference between those but I know Sports Illustrated had a ranking for like the ultra marathoners and it was like CJ McCollum first and then Beal in terms of most miles traveled during the course of these games so mm-hmm. I think just trying to figure out if the bench is competitive enough and comes to play uh, versus having to keep the starters in and really tire them out for the fourth quarter is, is going to be an interesting feature. Which guy off the bench do you think makes the biggest impact for the Raptors or is it really a committee of different people who are tough to stop? The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. 
Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. That kind of varies. Uh, usually it's been Fred Van Vliet this season, and you mentioned that he's day-to-day. He took a, a tough screen from Bam Adebayo last night, has a bruised shoulder. Apparently he's sore, but Fred is like an insanely tough dude. I would imagine he's going to play in game one. Uh, the x-rays all came back clean and everything, so I'd imagine he'd tough it out. Um, and so it's usually Fred, because Fred... He kind of unlocked a new thing with the the bench where, you know, for a large part of the start of the season, and it still happens sometimes now, but for most of the, the early part of the year, the bench was really good defensively but had no offensive punch mm-hmm. because no one could really create anything. No one was, you know, outside of transition opportunities and the odd DeLon right foray to the basket. Like, there wasn't a whole lot in terms of, you know, on-ball creation. Mm-hmm. And Fred, as the season went along, he kind of figured out how to blow by guys, how to sort of find his own shot, and mostly just kind of get into the defense and then sort of open it up with passes to the outside. That's kind of opened up a little bit with that. And it's not like a great offensive unit by any means. It's still very much a defense-first unit that uh, you know is predicated on forcing a lot of steals. They do that a ton. DeLon Wright uh, is like one of the best guys at just poking balls free and kind of just starting a fast break going the other way. And Pascal Siakam himself is like a one-man fast break. He can, you know, at the start of the season, I don't think anyone would have expected this, but... Siakam is getting out and sort of running the break by himself when he picks up the steals now, or just leaking out, and, and he's just faster than everybody. You'll be amazed at how fast Pascal Siakam is, yeah. seeing him over the course of an entire series. The dude just never stops running, and he's so fast when he runs that it's kind of terrifying. Um, so that that's kind of been most of the source of offense. But yeah, Fred kind of figuring out his where to pick his spots and how to sort of create a little bit has helped a lot. Um, and so he's super important. At the same time, you know, the, the different guys can be important at different times, uh, depending on the matchup. I think this is going to be a big DeLon Wright series. I think we could see him close some games. Uh, you know, if they need someone to guard Bradley Beal, I think he's probably one of the better options they have. And, you know, I, I think just the way that he kind of sees the floor, I think he might be a nice little guy to have out there if they're going to trap Lowry and, and DeMar. And, you know, Siakam has been you know a pretty good playmaker in his own right as well. He's kind of started to dribble a little bit more in the half court and not just in transition opportunities. Uh, his passing, one, his, his big-to-big passing with Yakup Pirtle, you'll see about two or three passes a game where you, you don't really see how Siakam finds a little pocket of space to feed Pirtle the ball, but it happens, and it's delightful. Uh, so you'll see that a whole bunch. So it, it kind of varies. I would say Fred is uh, mo- mo- most consistently the most important, but mm-hmm. the matchup could very well dictate it. Uh, otherwise, you know, if the defense uh, becomes a concern, Jakob Pirtle is a much better defender than, than Jonas Valanciunas, a little bit more mobile as well. And again, I mentioned his rim protection numbers. They're just elite this season, so mm-hmm. maybe he factors in a little bit more if, if the Wizards are getting to the rim quite a bit and having some success there it's uh it's very fluid with the second unit but yeah it, it, it all when it works in concert it's not just a bench that kind of tries to weather minutes it can actually be used as a weapon and they've used it as a weapon all season i would expect we'll see that starting the series and maybe that changes maybe the rotation gets cut down as the series goes along but i would imagine from the get-go like Dwayne case is going to play that five-man unit of uh van vliet delon wright C.J. Miles, Pascal Siakam, and Jakob Pertl, and just see what it can do, because it's been excellent all season long. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. 
Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's going to be an intriguing matchup, and I think it's one of, in my mind, uh, I wish the Wizards would have played the Celtics just because they're banged up, but ultimately I think this is one of three high potential for us upset uh, type of matchups in the Eastern Conference. Uh, the Heat could knock off the Sixers just because you know they're they're like riding so high after beating like a ton of a dozen lottery teams and they think they're they're hot shit right now. And then I think the Bucks could take down the Celtics because the injuries and Kyrie's not playing. As I mentioned, mm-hmm. I don't know if those will actually happen. But I was just wondering, Sean, what's your concern level? You know, being the number one seed, having these this fifty nine season, it seems like it happens every year that the Raptors finish like in the top three and then can't really get over the hump in the playoffs. Uh, and, of course, LeBron's a big, big barrier, but mm-hmm. do you think this will be final of the year where you get into the Eastern Conference Finals, or is it just a little bit too tough facing the Wizards and then potentially the Cavaliers and maybe the Sixers after that? Yeah, I mean, the Cavs thing is, is tough, and I, I think for the Raptors, it's never really been about how far they go. It's more been about how they perform against Cleveland, and if it's a close series, then I think you walk away pretty happy, and I think there's enough here to say that, yeah, in theory, statistically, on paper, they look like they should be able to give the Cavs a run. If not, you know, potentially beat them. Obviously, LeBron changes the calculus of everything, and, you know, you can't get too upset by losing to LeBron. But, uh, you know, that's going to be sort of the, the, the way they measure the, se- the season. Whether it was in the second or third round, I don't think it particularly mattered. As far as this series goes, I'm probably the wrong person to ask, because, like, most Raptors fans and a lot of people who cover the team, are their first instinct is to be scared of everything, and I understand it. Like, this is a team that has had a lot of disappointing playoff runs, and even when they made it to the conference finals two years ago, they looked like crap doing it. Like, they barely beat the Pacers, they needed Norman Powell to come in, and they needed Ty Lawson and Rodney Stuckey to play an extended, you know, stretch of minutes at the start of the fourth quarter, uh, without Frank Vogel bringing in his starters for the Raptors to make a comeback in Game 5, and that led them to come back in the series and you know I think you know they needed a lot of luck in that heat series in the second round both Hassan Whiteside and Jonas Valanciunas got hurt they were the two best players in that series for the first three games and then it was just like this ugly terrible slog and they made it to the conference finals against the Cavs the they won two games but like come on the Cavs didn't really try in that series and they kind of gave up those two games um not to say the Raptors didn't play well in those games they did but like it didn't, never really felt like they were on their level, aside from like one stretch of Game Four where the Raptors went toe to toe with them for you know five or six minutes, just scoring back to back and forth. Other than that, it just kind of felt like a mismatch the whole time. Um, so as far as this season series goes, a lot of people seem nervous. I'm not nervous. I think the results speak for themselves. The Raptors have changed the way they play offense. Their assist ratio is significantly higher than it used to be. They they pass the ball more. They used to be just like the the last bastion of you know movement-free and pass-free basketball, they're not that anymore. And they shoot a lot of threes. They didn't do that before. They were like the Wizards last year where they just didn't shoot very many threes. And they've changed their shot profile. And I just everything tells me from the defense being top five to the offense being third, I think, in the league. They're, they're third and fifth. Like the only team in the top five in both offense and defense in the league. I just think this is going to be a series where the Raptors kind of show that they're actually good. And I think, you know... Raptors fans are very nervous to sort of believe and think, you know, confidently about their team. I think 
this team has given them reason all season long to be confident. So I think this is going to be a shorter series than maybe most people do. I think it's going to be like a five-game series. I just think the way the Wizards are playing coming into the playoffs, I'm not very inspired. And I just think a lot of the matchup stuff is maybe less in favor of the Wizards than it might have been last season or even in the 2015 series. I think it's going to be Raptors in five. Like I think they have shown enough this season to make me pretty confident in that. And if there's a matchup that I'm fascinated by, it is sort of what the Wizards do when the Raptors decide to play Serge Ibaka at center um, because they haven't done that a ton this season but that's always been something that you knew the Raptors are going to bust out at some point mm-hmm. and if Bortot's giving Jonas trouble and, and like they need some rim protection like you can you can do worse than having Serge Ibaka be your central rim protector. And I wonder if maybe they'll try to stretch Gortat out a little bit. You mentioned he struggled against guys he has to chase around. Uh, and I think Serge at the five hasn't been used very much, but I think that can be a pretty useful lineup. If you stick Pascal next to him, um, that's an interesting little combo that's been pretty successful in small samples so far this year. Um, so I, I like the Wizards' approach to playing small is fascinating to me because they barely do it. Uh, virtually all their pet lineups have one of Gortat or Mahimi on the floor. Uh, there's only a couple looks that have like Markeith Morris at the five kind of sprinkled into the lineup mix. Some of them are good, some of them aren't. Um, like, do you expect the small ball thing to be something the Wizards go to, or will it For just sure. be something they have Absolutely. to react to the Raptors going small? I think it's it's going to be a lot more prevalent than it was during the regular season. A, because Gortop might be on his way out this offseason, but also like he only plays 25 minutes game. Mahimni plays less than 15 a game. So when it gets into the fourth quarter, the Wizards do typically roll... Well, if they have Wall healthy, they'll probably you know be going with Wall, Beal, and then either Ubre or Sadoransky, and then Porter at the four, and Markeith Morris playing center. They have occasionally rolled with Mike Scott and Morris uh, in the you know the power forward and center positions, but I I just don't think that in today's modern NBA, especially with all the shooters that uh, Toronto has, it's not a good look for either Jan Mahimni or Marcin Gortat, and I don't expect them to see too much time, uh, especially Mahimni. I think he'll be a, a tighter rotation, and the only three bench guys who will really see time for the Wizards are going to be uh, Ubre, Sato, and then uh, Mike Scott, in my mind. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home, but I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found... Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, that the bench thing is going to be fascinating to me. I'm not sure what the Raptors are going to do. Like I said, I think they'll start with all five guys, but maybe that gets pared down as the series goes along. But um, that feels like an advantage the Raptors definitely have in terms of depth. And it's not even like if the Raptors go with eight guys, they don't have to use the same eight guys every game. Like mm-hmm. if 
certain game, the way the game is flowing, you know, calls for one thing. Like they can play Delon over Fred in some situations, um, or you know, the, they can sit Pascal or play Perto. Like I think they have a lot of different flexibility that maybe the Wizards don't quite have. Um, because as good as Marquise Morris has been for this team the last couple of seasons, I wouldn't say he's like a natural small ball five. Like it feels like they're kind of lacking a guy who's like a perfect small ball five to throw out there. So um, I wonder if that's something the Raptors will be able to sort of toss out there and see how it works. The series is going to be fun. I, I, I'm I, I'm probably not as scared as most Raptors fans are, and I think people are judging me for not being as scared. Um, but like I'm just I, this team's good. They're really good, and they've proven it over the course of the year. And I just think the Wizards. While they're dangerous and they have top end talent, and I think at their ceiling they're they're really dangerous. I d- I don't think they're at their ceiling right now, and I I I just I don't think they do anything particularly well. You know, thirteenth in offense or fourteenth in offense, fifteenth in defense. They they don't really stand out in one aspect of the game. So I just think the Raptors are going to kind of you know bully on that. And I think you know the Raptors are going to win a game one. I think that's the most bold prediction you can make of anything in this series is the Raptors winning a game one. And I think mm-hmm. they're going to do it. I'm probably an idiot. This is going to come back to bite me in forty eight hours or so. But uh, I think it's going to happen. So I don't know. Is there anything we've missed? Anything we should uh, add into this thing before we wrap this up? No, I think we, we touched on all of the major points, and I think, um, I, I mean, it's it's kind of the truth that the Wizards are, are pretty average, and, you know, they're decent in a lot of fields. I think if Wall is kind of playing 100%, which I doubt he will be, then the ability to force turnovers is a huge advantage in getting out in fast break, getting those layups, getting those threes, and kind of just taking the momentum away from Toronto would be a big deal. Um, the biggest thing is just going to be mental focus because when the Wizards have the advantage and play against weaker teams, they kind of drop the ball. I think if the Wizards, this won't happen if they're going on the road, but say, say, let's say the Wizards go up like three to one. Um, if you know, you split in Toronto, I think they would just like let that next game drop, which would, could totally change the series. So I think it's just kind of keeping the, the pedal to the metal is kind of been the Wizards downfall. Um, and yeah, I think we, we just about. Covered everything else. Um, as you mentioned, the Raptors were great in the regular season. They are a great team, but you know you earn earn your bread and butter in the playoffs. So we'll see if they can get over that uh, this year and prove that they're a competitive playoff team as well. I will say, it doesn't feel like good to be penciling in the Raptors for a good playoff performance. Like I, I don't feel totally confident in it because there's no reason to be. But yeah. I, I think. Just this season, I think, is different. I think it's a different piece. So uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the series. Make sure you're checking out both Locked on Raptors and Locked on Wizards throughout the series. Uh, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all the places you can find the podcast. Uh, Noah, where can people find all your stuff? Yeah, uh, I forgot there's Google Play, too. That's an, a new addition, so we can add that to the subscription yes. list for Stitcher. Yeah, you mentioned those. So everywhere you can get your podcasts. Uh, you can find me at Noah underscore Getzel. So my first name is just like Noah's Ark, N-O-A-H underscore G-O-E-T-Z-E-L. And be sure to follow Locked on Wizards and also Wizards Extra, which is the blog that I contribute for. We do a ton of uh, post-game player and coach interviews so we'll be posting those videos on, on Twitter and uh, recaps and some other good stuff. So be on the lookout for that from Wizards Extra. Right on. 
man. I'm at Woodley Sean. You can find my stuff mostly in the playoffs. I'll be writing at RaptorsHQ.com because that's a referential for games. So uh, check out the stuff I'll have written there. Uh, LockedOnRaptors.com. I got a staff of writers who are going to be doing some, doing some things for the site throughout the playoffs. So make sure you're reading that. Obviously, the podcast will come all the time. You know, quick reactions after games throughout the week, all that stuff. And uh, Noah, man, hopefully we can uh, do this again later in the series. And uh, best of luck to your Wizards. Cool, definitely. Thanks a lot, Sean. It was uh, great talking to you, and I wish I could wish you good luck as well, but I really don't want to. <laughs> you don't need any luck. You're the number one seed. Come on. That's fair. Uh, all right, got to wrap this thing because uh, the Maple Leafs are playing right now, and uh, I have to go get super nervous and sad if they lose the game. So, uh... All right, check it out. Cool. Take it easy, man. You too. Take care. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.